0: thanks for pressing play. Position yourself or be positioned has long been one of my favorite expressions. And uh, it has actually big and deep and wide meaning. You see, most people, of course, think that life is something that happens to us. Uh, And you hear it in our casual speaking. People say things to us like, how's life treating you? And these kinds of thoughts are a great example of an unconscious mental stance that we can often take to life as if life just occurs and we have no agency to design our lives. Now, it turns out every successful person is different from that. They learn to create and seize upon opportunity. Before they succeed, they position themselves for success. Our guest today did exactly that. Carly Malatowski hosts the She Leads podcast. It's the podcast network made by women for women, and she's had great success with She Leads. She's also a two time Stanford national soccer champion. Pretty extraordinary. And she started off her career as a new venture capital investor at the legendary Floodgate in Silicon Valley. Founded by my friends, Mike Maples and Ann Miraco. On this episode, what you're about to experience is a real dialogue about how to seek out legendary mentors, surround yourself with legendary people, what it takes to win championships at the highest level, and how to start your career in a strong, powerful way, and much, much more. As well, you should know that I have worked on and off with Mike and Ann at Floodgate for years. You're listening to Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different, and we are the real dialogue business podcast for entrepreneurs, marketers, and category designers with a different mind. Now, my friends at Lomi are the makers of uh, one of the most legendary new appliances in a decade. You see, Lomi is the first smart home composter, and Lomi makes food waste a thing of the past. You know that uh, disgusting, uh, dripping bag of crap that you put in your garbage. Um, Well, Lomi transforms your kitchen from a waste creating, environmental hurting dumpster into a magic dirt factory. You see, you put your food waste in Lomi, and a few hours later, it turns into this highly nutrient dense magic dirt compost. It really, it's kind of magic. Um, They won't tell me exactly how this technology works, but best I can tell, what Lomi does is uh, spin that um, food waste around and um, dehydrate it with heat. And I think there's many sharks in there with lasers on their heads. Anyway, no matter how they do it, Lomi takes uh, food waste and turns it into the world's most magical dirt. Visit L-O-M-I today. That's Lomi.com today. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. So she leads, does she, Carly?
1: Yes, she
0: does. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for doing your wonderful podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on this show. I'm really excited. Thank you.
0: Oh, we well, are very welcome. I'm very excited to have this uh, conversation with you. I'm curious what made you want to start your podcast.
1: Yeah, so I started it right at the cusp of COVID, right when COVID started actually. I was just completing my soccer career at Stanford, so I just finished that and I was I had some more time on my hands, so that's on the one hand. Um I've always loved podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love yours um, as well. But I listened to How I Built This with Guy Raz, just all the top podcasts. And on the one hand, I was thinking, you know what? I am really excited for that point in my career where I can, you know, maybe on the same level as these top leaders and I could talk to them. And on the other hand, I thought, you know what? Why not just reach out now? I have yet to find a podcast that has my I guess, youthful energy coming right out of college, you know, a young girl. And I thought, you know what? Why not reach out? I cold emailed hundreds, hundreds of people. Um, And it was also at the cusp of COVID. So everyone was moving towards Zoom and it became kind of normal to have a conversation over Zoom. And I thought, you know what? This is great to just release and have others also learn from this incredible conversation I'm having. So it kind of just turned into a very, very quick thing
0: and what's the missing you're trying to fill i mean obviously it's clear that you're on a mission here you saw missing so how how do you think about uh how do you think about that
1: yeah i think it's a great question one one aspect of she leads as the name suggests is i talk to incredible leaders right but they all happen to be female and i could have easily done you know a regular podcast talking to everyone but i thought Why not highlight these incredible women from all different industries? So I talked to, you know, Olympians, founders, lawyers, the costume designer of Netflix shows I even talked to. And I thought, why not have this aspect where these women are also talking to someone like me and thinking of, you know, how they started their career? What were their first steps? How were they thinking through their career? And I think that's missing of this have having these like authentic, genuine conversations from this early-on perspective that I really wanted to tap into that I had yet to find.
0: Fascinating. Now I'm curious about this. You know, it has been said by many uh, more learned people than me that um, the way men and women communicate is radically different. And of course, if you spent any time with a man or a woman, you would figure that out. And the best description I've ever heard of it, and I don't know who said it originally. So this is not my idea. And I recently saw Uh, Jane Fonda say this in a uh, an interview, and it sort of reminded me of this, which is and it's been true in my personal experience, which is men have what are called shoulder to shoulder experiences. So we go do stuff. Yeah. And if we're going to talk and get personal and talk about our troubles or our dreams or whatever we're going to talk about that matters to us as dudes. It's when we're doing something, we're out on a hike, we go skiing, we go whatever it is we go do, but we're doing a thing. And then it's been said that women, instead of shoulder to shoulder, of course, have face to face. And so uh, I'm curious what you think it makes it unique, other than maybe the obvious, when two women are having a conversation as opposed to uh, a man and a woman or two men.
1: Yeah, you know Chris, I think I saw the exact same video that Jane Fonda was talking about. And it's a great question and it's something that I didn't tap into before starting she leads at all. But I think I think for women it's it's much more natural to sit across from someone and really just sit for hours talking. Talking about their feelings, talking about their day, talking about what happened to them last week. Um, what's going to happen, what they're anxious about, just naturally talking about their feelings. And as you said, I think boys, on the other hand, men, it's more natural to to almost use the outside environment as a distraction and say, like, no, we're not actually talking about our feelings, but we're playing golf or we're, we're doing some activity. And I think that's actually a really great attribute for women to take into with She Leads particularly, because I just want to have, it's an honest conversation. I want to talk about you know what challenges did you have in college that got you to where you are today? or how do you think of you know being a being a mother and having to go into work every day or moving you know with a seven month old child and moving to remote work? So there's so many different attributes that I think it seems more natural for women, But it's an interesting question. I think it even's more scientific. I don't know. I think it goes back to more biology standpoint. But it is fascinating, and I think I think that is there. I can see it even with my sisters. I have two older sisters. My mom, we can th- sit for hours talking. So it's interesting.
0: And do you have brothers?
1: I don't. I only have sisters.
0: And uh, I'm assuming you have a father.
1: I do, yes.
0: <laughs> does he talk? <laughs>
1: it's a good question. Yes, he does talk. Um, but I would say as a household with four girls and one dad... It's you can imagine it's more the chaos is coming from the the girls and just the screaming and he's just sitting there and when he talks we're we're very much listening. Oh, okay, what does my dad have to say? So it's a it's a fun, it's a fun household to be in for sure.
0: <laughs> sure sounds like it. Now I'm curious, so you've you know, recently, um when you joined Floodgate, my impression is joining Floodgate at your stage of uh career in life is it a pretty Just in of itself, getting that job is a gigantic achievement. So what does it feel like to be you, a fairly recent graduate with this wonderful podcast and all the other things that you do? I want to talk about your soccer at some point, too. But now uh, you are working with some of the greatest venture capitalists in the history of Silicon Valley, plus or minus right out of school. So tell me about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So first, I have to say I am incredibly, incredibly grateful to be at Floodgate. And I think you hit the nail on the head. They are the most incredible people. And even beyond investors, right? it's the people. You know Mike, you know Anne, and I think it's incredible. So I guess some backstory is at Stanford, I did a program, uh, this entrepreneurship program called the Mayfield Fellows Program. And Anne, Anne Muirco, is the founder of Floodgate, and she also is the co-director of Mayfield. And it was actually her first year as co-director for my cohort. And so, you know, I did that, one of the highlights of my Stanford experience for sure. And then graduated, ended up actually moving to Tel Aviv, Israel, lived there for two years. But with Anne, I always maintained that relationship. She was always someone that I, she's the perfect definition of just such a badass leader, like the perfect she leads, she leader. And so I always kept in touch with her. And we connected over coffee and caught up. And then, you know, she brought it up to me and said, look, we at Floodgate, we have, you know, a bunch of exciting things ahead and interested to see, you know, where you're where you're headed and what you have in mind. For me, I've always, whether it's been, you know, taught by mentors or at least told, but I always am optimizing for the people. Like, I always want to follow the people. And I think I've, t- I've said this a couple of times, but Anne, she could have honestly said Carly come be the janitor at Floodgate. I may have said yes. I probably would have said yes because that I just wanted to be surrounded by them. And and so yeah, I feel incredibly lucky. I'm excited. I think the team's amazing. Um and it's great to be at this point in my career. Like you said, there's a lot of a lot to learn. And I just I constantly just want to learn from all different aspects. So it's great.
0: You and me both, sister. Yes. And so um as we sit here today, I'm curious you know, how you and and your colleagues at Floodgate, how you're thinking about the next maybe 24 to 36 months. Because of course, you know, there's a lot of debate. Are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? We did have two down quarters, but at the same time, um, at least in my lifetime, having been through uh five or eight recessions, depending on how you want to count them, uh, this one's harder to understand because we have conflicting data, Right. The consumer did pretty well at Christmas. Uh, corporate spending's not fallen off a cliff, although it looks like it's down. But So there's all these different conflicting uh, reports about the economy. So who knows what's going to happen, but we are in a strange time as it relates to predicting how the next little uh, bit's going to go. And I'm curious, what, what what does your crystal ball tell you?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think a couple of things one, so Floodgate is very early on, pre-seed, seed stage. We invest almost too early in companies, we like to say. And in many ways, and I think I heard Ann talking about this a couple of days ago, but in a way, when the market is doing well and it's exciting and you know what's going to happen, there's a lot of noise, especially for an early founder. So oftentimes you get excited by it, you have money coming in and, and you're not focusing on what's truly matters whereas now we all see it as like this is the perfect time to start a company. You know, go out there testing, experimenting because there's no noise and even more so you you do much better when you have restraints, right? You you are forced to be creative. So, I think those attributes are are very key and special to have as a very early entrepreneur because you're tested and you're you're doing what matters and then from there we get really excited because we can tell okay, they have a good head on their shoulders. They're approaching this right. They have a real passion for this. And so in that regard, it's exciting. And yes, you know we don't know how long this could last for and it could be the next year, a year and a half, six months, whatever it may be. But I think if the timing is right for you, the founder, then that's great.
0: It's interesting to me how many legendary companies are founded uh, during downturns. Uh, I started my first company at 18 during a downturn. Uh, And I I saw a quote recently uh, from a CEO attending Davos in the Wall Street Journal. And the quote was, I'm paraphrasing, but said something to the effect of everybody kind of under 45 is freaking out and everybody over 50 is calm because we've been to this movie before. (laughs) Right. And so obviously uh, you're below 45. Why is it that you, where some younger people earlier in their career are very fearful right now? Why is it you seem to be so excited and optimistic?
1: I think I could probably attribute it to just the environment I'm in right now, right? So I am learning and surrounded by Mike and Anne. And like you said, they've been through 2008 and even more so, they don't even see 2008 as the really, yeah, more so 2001, right? Right after 9-11, that was scarier. And I wasn't there. I was three years old. so, So I don't personally know, but what i could say is when i do think about others my age and in this time i think it all goes towards that uncertainty uncertainty is scary naturally and so when people don't know what the future holds you start to plant in your head all of the the worst that can come so i think that naturally like comes into the young generation their mind especially you know starting their career early professionals also starting in covid times like remote offices versus in person so there's so many uncertainties that come and it hasn't really stopped since COVID in a sense. So I think that's probably why, but for me personally, I just feel lucky at floodgate and I, and I can kind of get a sense, okay, I'll trust these people who have been through it and who've experienced it and can kind of give me that certainty for the future.
0: Yes, that's yeah, interesting because uh, my dear friend and our most uh, regularly occurring guest, Duska Zapata she said something to me quite a while ago. Now we were talking about, I think we're talking about like having your heart broken and having tragedy when you're younger in life. And she made the comment that it, it, she thinks it's a lot harder for younger people because of what you just said, Carly, because when you're younger and you have, you know, you lose your first significant other boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever You get fired from your first job. You deal with your first recession. Whatever the thing is, right? Whatever the challenge is, your first grandparent, you you lose your first parent that you, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are all things that happen to all of us. But Dushka's point was when you're young, you don't have a point of reference. So, you know, the famous, I think it was Churchill who said, or maybe Socrates or Lincoln or Maybe it was ChatGPT, but somebody said this too shall pass. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think it was uh, Churchill. But anyway, and when you're your age versus my age, you don't have a context. You might know it intellectually. I mean, you're not a dumb person, but the life experience thing matters. And so what's it like for you as a native digital working with uh, the leaders of the firm, Mike and Ann, who are clearly native analogs?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's actually what Mike and Ann do really well is they, they're they very inclusive in their work. They, they're very intentional about who they're bringing on to the team, right? So we have, you know, a lot of us are recent Stanford grads or recent graduates of college. And so we can bring that perspective, right? So when we have, you know, new young companies come in about consumer apps and social apps and things like that, in their mind, they're like, is this good? Is this exciting? Is this sexy? What What's going on? And so me and the other, you know, associates and investors on the team, we could be like, oh, this this could be something. Or I could see this being used across a wide mass. So I think that's kind of where our digital, like you said, that perspective can come into it and bring this like youthful energy of what's what could be coming. Because especially what I'll add is at floodgain, especially being so early stage, we have to think about the future. We have to think about five years from now, 10 years from now, rather than what's going to happen in a year. And because of that, we can actually add this perspective of saying, you know, the kids right now are using it, right? TikTok has this trend going on. And and so we see that and can provide that um, different perspective that probably doesn't come naturally.
0: Absolutely. And sort of the big aha here that is hiding in plain sight, of course, is that you are a first generation native digital? Right. Meaning your primary experience is digital first. You've grown up on the internet. And um, Mike and Anne, although Anne's considerably younger and better looking than Mike, but. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, myself, and really anybody who's over the age of 35, 40, is, um, are the last native analogs to live. Right. And I think most people don't understand. I think a lot of people think this is a normal generational thing. Oh, you guys like different music than we like and you guys have different words than we have. And all the normal, you know, if you look at if you look at our generation's relationship with the baby boomers, right? Gen Gen X. Yeah. Which is what Mike and Ann and I are versus our parents, baby boomers. We weren't that different. We really weren't. Yeah. We really weren't. We, yeah, yeah, we like different music. And we had different fashion and different words and whatever, whatever, whatever. But fundamentally, we weren't different. And human beings haven't changed meaningfully like they just changed probably since we moved from hunter-gatherers to farmers or maybe the Industrial Revolution. Insofar as your life experience is radically different than mine. And so right. – one of the things I think that is troubling for native analogs is they don't know how to deal with this world and they're intimidated by it. It's whenever we have the native analog to native digital discussion, native analogs get angry. They get upset. They think it's ageism or something like this. But for native digitals, they're like, yeah, no I'm kidding. Right. Because, you know, you're yeah. different than your parents.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, though, Chris, let me ask you this, because right now I also see right the shift with with everything from a basis of a human connection. Now you have dating apps and it's becoming more normal to meet on a dating app rather than in person. And there's so many different aspects that have shifted. But in a way, I almost want to go back to those analog times where it's more, you know, true connections rather than, you know, social media and, it's purely just a feed of comparisons and it's affecting our mental health in tremendous ways. Like, I see a lot of the negative too, in a sense. And so when you see it, I can I can understand that skepticism. But in a way, maybe there is skepticism that should be there and there's truth to it. I don't know. Do you see that as well? Like, do you see the negatives of it from a, like how it's affecting us as a society as well? Or is it purely should be a positive thing?
0: So I'm not advocating or promoting this. I'm observing it as what's happening. Yeah. So if you, me, Mike and Ann go out to dinner, how long will it be before you touch your phone?
1: Yeah, I'm particularly good. <laughs> no, but I, I agree, though. It's You'll probably a touch it before
0: I, I will touch mine.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Probably.
0: Right. So so that's the thing. What's the primary way in which you communicate with your uh friends?
1: Over WhatsApp, text, FaceTime, right. maybe, yeah.
0: When you talk to your friends and you want to get together in the analog world, uh, what do you say?
1: Let's meet up at Tuesday at 10 AM at this place and hope you're there. <laughs>
0: Well, that's what I would say, but do you ever use the term uh, IRL in the real, in the real life?
1: Oh, I see. No, not really. But yes, I I know what you mean. It's more these all the acronyms. And yeah, exactly.
0: And if you were to visit my home and you got, you got here and, and let's say you pulled into the driveway, how would you let me know you're here?
1: I would text you and call you.
0: Okay. So that's, that's a very good example because the yeah. doorbell or knock on the door is an analog solution to the problem called I'm here and I want to let you know. <laughs> and that's been the solution for a very, very long time. Right. But you would text me and you'd probably write one word here. Exactly. And so the difference between you and me is that in many situations, not all, your default will be digital first.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's Very just true. the difference. So I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying that's what's happening. Now, to your point, we're still human beings. Right? And even though yeah. we're doing this over the internet, which is fantastic. I love it. It's great. Yeah. There's part of me that would still prefer that we did this in person.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Yeah. But probably no, not part of you.
1: <laughs> no, I I agree. I I for sure in person. But then again, I'm thinking like, wow, it's actually amazing that I could talk to people on my podcast with you where you know they could be on the other side of the world. They could be in New York. They could be anywhere. Um, and we're able to just have a conversation. So there's value obviously in both, but the, the in-person I think definitely adds that value that you don't really get anywhere else.
0: Yes. Now, um, I'm curious, you know, you have this incredible podcast and obviously you are who you are. And so if I was um, a younger woman, maybe just a few years behind you, maybe just getting ready to graduate college, or if I'd maybe been somebody who said, fuck college, I want to do my own thing. And I'm trying to figure out what that thing is. You know, you have gotten off to a pretty legendary start. What advice would you give me?
1: Yeah, I would give you. I would tell you to tap into a couple things. One, what are you passionate about? What are your true passions, right? What it not what is, you know, what are your parents telling you to do and what are you supposed to do, but what are you actually passionate about? And and then we can almost work backwards of saying like where do you want to be in X amount of years and how how do we get there? And for me how I've always led is the people, like I said, and it's finding the people that you want to be in two years, in five years, in 10 years and finding them and cold emailing them and messaging them and saying, you know what, let's, let's hop, on a, hop on a call or uh, your commute to work and let's just chat and tap into who they are, how they got to where they are. And from there, you really just are able to lead your own way. And whether it's a job that you think will help you get there, great. Let's, let's tap into that and see how you can get that job. Um, but it's really tapping into what is giving you energy. Where do you find yourself getting energy rather than where do you feel drained? Um, and it's taking energy away from you. Let's steer clear of those. And I think that's relevant at any point in your career. Um, so I I really like to tap into that. And I think that would be
0: valuable. Thank you for that. Now, in there, you said, uh, seek out the people you want to be. Did I hear that right, Carly? Yeah, So could you uh, maybe pop the hood on that one for me a little bit? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. So when I started, when I was at Stanford, I thought I would go into product management. But in the future, I thought, you know what? I feel like I'm going to be a founder or I'll start my own thing. And that's more, that's later down the line. But what I did love is I came across this girl who was uh, doing the APM program at LinkedIn. And then after she was a PM and I was like, okay, I want to, I love that. I want to be that and I could see myself in her shoes. So I built this relationship with her and I and I tapped into, you know, how did she get there? What did she do? Is it relevant to something I could do? And then beyond that, I also found people like Anne, right? Anne is the most incredible leader that I have come across. And I wanted to maintain I wanted to build that relationship with her. I wanted to learn who she was and how she got to where she is. And so that's a perfect example of saying, okay, Anne is someone I want to be in you know, 10 years or so, but there's this girl, Emily, who I want to be in you know, two years. And maintaining and building these relationships and almost having these mentors for myself is a great way to say, okay, I feel like I'm on the right track. That's also me being the type of person who does like to have some certainty or at least some type of path that I can see myself on. But everyone, again, it is, is, works differently, but that is, at least gives me some peace and excitement, too, for the future.
0: Yes. Now, of course, you are in an extraordinary situation. You were in one of the finest uh, learning institutions on planet Earth. And you found Correct. yourself or worked your way. I, I shouldn't say found yourself. I mean, you earned your way into the Mayfield Fellows Program, which I'm familiar with, which is an extraordinary program. And I've come and spoken for Anne and some of the teams over the years and, and so forth yeah. and so on. And and so you worked hard, I'm sure, yes, to put yourself in that position, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Now, what if I, you know, someone like me would never, they'll let me lecture at Stanford, but they wouldn't let me go there as a student. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I got thrown out of school at 18 for being stupid. (laughs) So so I'm curious, if you're not somebody at a super ding-dong school, And maybe you don't have access to the Mayfield fellows. And I still want to follow in Carly's footsteps. Um, What advice would you have for me?
1: I would. I it doesn't matter where you come from. It's very much in the grit and work ethic that you that you have. And I don't think that's that's not taught, honestly. And it comes from within. And so what I mean by that is you could. Very well, still find the people that inspire you and motivate you, and you think that you want to learn from them. And for me, a good example is She Leads. I cold emailed hundreds of people because in my mindset, I was like, you know what? Worst case, they say no, it's not a big deal, or they don't reply. But best case, they say yes, and I hop on a 30 minute call with them. And so, in that regard, just having that, I would say, just have that mindset, being able to say, I may fail, quote unquote, fail at this. And they I won't get a reply, but there's a chance I do and so just reaching out to people and talking to them, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter you know whether you went to Stanford or not, whether you went to college or not. At the end of the day, you're a hungry student who wants to learn more and I can and you'd be surprised that a lot of people are actually excited and willing and happy to help and just give words of wisdom and for them, it's their drive to work, right, and they're just talking about themselves. And they're providing this, you know, words of wisdom that they don't even realize is wisdom, but oftentimes it is. Hmm. And so I would say it doesn't matter where you come from. It's more just do you have the motivation and the grit and the work ethic that you want to put into it and you want to talk to these incredible people.
0: Amen. Hallelujah, sister. (laughs) Now, I'm curious. So I'm somebody who, Carly, one of my primary motivations in life is what you might think of as throwing down a rope. You know, insofar as uh, one of my favorite expressions is if you're lucky enough to make it to the top of a mountain, throw down a fucking rope. And right. so I'm somebody who didn't go to Stanford and got thrown out of school. I didn't graduate high school. And a lot of people to what you just said, that's what I did. Uh, there was no email back then. There was this thing called the white pages and the yellow pages. Yep. <laughs> that was the Internet. Um, right. But the principle is exactly the same. And I found what you found, which was there was a lot of kindness out there from experienced people who would throw down that rope. Yeah. So here's my question to you. I'm somebody who's deeply committed when I find a high potential younger person that I want to do everything I can to throw down that rope and help pull. And so what advice would you give me and any other native analogs who want to be the most legendary uh, rope thrower to you and your uh, co- colleagues that are in, in your stage of career in life.
1: Yeah, I love that. And wow, the the ones that are willing to throw a rope, those are that's amazing. Those are the best. So I appreciate that. For you, I would say again replying to those cold emails or just being willing to respond. And the answer could be a no, but even a response saying, you know what. This, this timing is, is hard. It's a hectic month. Maybe next month, follow up with me. Or, you know, having that ability to just send even a five-minute response saying, thanks for reaching out. I hear you. Um, let's hop on a call or, you know, not, not right now. It's not a good time. I think that's incredibly helpful. Um, and then again, the majority of it should be coming from me, right? From the one, the younger one looking for help it's not your responsibility in a sense um but it's for you it's more of just having that receptiveness being w- able and open to talking and and again oftentimes it's even saying you know what i my my schedule's jam packed you know it's from 8 to 10 whatever it may be but i'm on the road driving to work for 20 minutes i'm happy to hop on a call then and even that is like so valuable, so incredibly valuable just to talk to you in any capacity. So I think those are a couple of things. And again, just also like nowadays, you have so many different mediums to share wisdom. You have Twitter. You can post, you know, Twitter feeds and things like that. Just engaging also with the people that are, that are engaging with your content um, also adds a lot of value and makes them feel special.
0: And do you find a lot of people who are more in my age and stage are willing to do that? It seems like they have been on for, on your podcast.
1: Yeah, so with my podcast, I have to say I've tried, I, I've almost experimented with, you know, do, done my own little experiments of what, what gets more replies. I have sent anywhere from, you know, yes, LinkedIn, email, but even a video of myself. I've sent videos of myself saying, hey, you know, I'm Carly, come on my show. Like it's varied because at the end of the day, I also want them to see me. I want them to hear me and see where it's coming from and that it's a very like genuine ask. And I think, so yeah, play around with it. Um, And I think people are receptive. Again, you'd be so surprised that people do. Everyone's just a human. We're all, you know, we're all human. We're all the same. We all have the same wants and needs and basic needs in the world. Yes, someone may have accomplished this, you know, at X age and whatnot, but at the end of the day, we all just want to be kind and help, and at least we should. So I, I think so.
0: So you said to be open, to be responsive, to engage on social media. Yeah. Is there anything else you would like to tell me and any other Native analog who wants to be a good friend, partner, coach, mentor, colleague?
1: Yeah. I think just being honest is important. I th- I see that. You know, it's easy to sugarcoat things these days and you are you want to just, you know, make everyone hopeful and whatnot. But being honest is incredibly valuable. And just saying, look, maybe, you know, this is not like, are you truly tapping into what you want or are you listening to, you know, are you only doing this job because everyone else in your school is going down the consulting route, for instance, or, you know, tapping into that and being honest with them and saying, you know, and asking, like, how can I help? Setting expectations and being very open about it all and establishing like, look, this is just a human to human relationship. And let's establish what's, you know, what are some what's some what are some needs on either end?
0: Got it. So maybe you could give me some advice about a particular situation I'm in right now, Carly. Okay. how about you be my therapist for a second? Okay. <laughs> so I have many close native digital relationships, family, friends, etc., colleagues. I work with lots of native digitals, and right now, I am in a, in the middle of an upset with a native digital. Okay. And this native digital is doing what, in my experience, as a native analog, many native digitals do when there's been some kind of a bump in the road, which is they ghost. So now this person's gonzo, just not just ghosting. And ghosting was not a category of behavior when our generation grew up. I mean, I guess if somebody left you a a voicemail on your answering machine, you could just not respond. But ghosting is a newer thing where you could just fucking, you know, text somebody and they just fucking don't respond. And so... What would you suggest I do in this situation where this uh, native digital seems to have gone into a, uh, into a bunker?
1: So, Chris, let me ask you this. How, because there are a couple of things that come into it, right? How long have you guys like had this relationship in a sense? Is it, is it new? Is it been for years? Um, did, he, did he or she initially reach out to you to seek advice or what's, what's the dynamic in that sense?
0: So it's a multi-year relationship. Uh, We were introduced by a mutual friend and we've done some great things together. Yeah. But it's a multi-year relationship. I would say, I thought this person would say they knew me. And up until this happened, I thought I could say I knew this person. And it's not that I would say today, I don't know this person, but the behavior is such now that I would say, Hmm. I'm definitely learning something about this person. And this person might not be the person that I thought they were.
1: So I think to an extent, there's only so much you could do, right? If you're not getting anything on their end, on the receiving end. So on the one hand, you can say, Yes, you know, just checking in. I know we've I know you're going through X t- I know you're going through this time. I'm here for you if you want to chat. Um, just ping me whenever, whenever you're ready and we could talk through it. And almost just like it's in their court, you know, it's on them. On the one hand though, if you really, you know, whether it's a concern for them or something, again, you have mutual friends. So it could be something where you're like, hey, have you talked to, have you talked to him recently? Um, just wanted to get a sense of if it's something that, you know, he's kind of he's doing okay, but he just needs a quiet time It doesn't need anyone in his corner, right? And is just on focus mode versus, you know, is he talking to to them, but more it's like this is something where our relationship right now just needs to take take a break
0: so essentially send them a text say you'd love to talk and if they don't respond fuck it and wait
1: (laughs) yeah because look at the end of the day you can't force it you can't push them to talk in a sense right like they have to be also you don't even want to talk with someone who's not even in that mental space to take it you know they may not be in that mental space to be like okay i'm ready to just like have advice or anything thrown at me and I just need this time. So in a sense, yeah, there may be that value add to just say, look, he knows you're there for him or her and and almost just like putting it in their court when they're ready, they'll reach out. And then again, yeah, reaching out to maybe a mutual connection and say like just checking in that everything's okay.
0: Okay. Well, that's essentially exactly what I've done. Uh, the thing yeah. that I think is hard, you know, I can't speak for all native digitals or native analogs, But I think the thing that's hard for me on this is we grew up in a world where you couldn't necessarily ghost people. Right. And where this idea of uh, I'm pissed off, I'm I'm whatever, and I'm just going to disappear, that wasn't a thing people did, right? People dealt with a problem when there's a problem. And one of the things in a business context, of course, is legendary founders, legendary CEOs, legendary executives of any type. When there's a problem, they get the fuck on it. And yeah. this behavior, and I use this as an example. Of course, I've seen it many times before. This avoidance behavior, this, this radical fear of confrontation, um, of discussion about anything that isn't, uh, you know, moonlight and canoes is a different thing. I grew up in a world, I grew up on the East Coast, obviously native analog, where, fuck, we we dealt with shit right on. And in a business context, if there was a problem, we don't let this thing fester. We get on, now. look, some things require some thought. Sometimes it's totally fine to say, hey, listen, I need a few days to think about. All that's fine. But what is strange, I think, for most native analogs is a full-on ghost.
1: Yeah. I think for those native digitals as you said two things came to mind one just in terms of responsiveness right email text everything there's so much noise that we have these days from every which way right from notifications from every application on your phone from text messages from emails and so on the one hand that's just its own beast that people can you know see as a beast and be like this is really hard to manage and and that's not an excuse, right? Because on the one hand, you brought up an even more important topic, which is like having those conversations and being willing to talk through them. That's something else. That's something where I agree. Our generation, it's something that is not natural and confronting and talking through it and and almost getting past the the uncomfortable point. You can have that. There's a There's a barrier, I feel like, that people, we can talk about it, but it gets very valuable past the barrier. And that's what's really hard to talk through. And so, I agree. I think maybe it's the setting. Maybe it has to be in person where you don't, you know, there's not really an escape. Nowadays, you have escapes when it's online. You have oh, my Wi-Fi is out, or you know, there's a lot of uh, quote-unquote escapes that you can have. But I agree with you. I think there is something to it where where the going gets tough and shit hits the fan. It's how do you deal with that and can you approach it head on? And I think it's a yeah, it's an attribute that. A, not a lot of people can easily have. It's learn, you can learn it, though. I think it's something that you can learn. It's just, it's not natural.
0: Yeah, I think a general, it's a, this is a mass generalization, but in general, a failure of my generation yes. with bringing up your generation is, is, is creating this environment where so many young people today seem to be so radically adverse to anything remotely yeah. near conflict. You know, and you, you see, you know, when yeah. I talk to young, you, you mentioned all the dating apps. When I talk to young people about the dating apps, that is the number one thing they t- say is the problem is the ghosting. It's like, I ah, just swipe here, swipe there. And ah, we go out once. Right. Ah, fuck you. I never even, you know, respond to you ever again. It's just this very disposable fuck off and, and do what you want.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's terrible because that's also the norm. Like that could be considered the norm. Nowadays, right. Ghosting is, is not rude. Yeah.
0: Right. It's just what yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe switching gears a little bit, you have an extraordinary uh, collegiate athletic background. So uh, m- maybe tell me a little bit about uh, you as an athlete.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I, okay, I'll go back to even when I started, I started playing soccer when I was five years old. Um, I, like I said, I've two older sisters and my mom, she put them in ballet. They did dance. And so she thought, you know what? Third third daughter, of course she's going to love to dance. That makes sense. She took me to ballet class. I cried every time. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. And, and I told her, you know, at five years old, I had friends in kindergarten. They were playing soccer. It looked really fun. And I said, Mom, you know what? I remember this actually pretty vividly. But I said, you know what? I am not into singing and dancing. I'm an athlete. And you have to understand all people are different. And so... I started playing soccer.
0: You told your mom Absolutely that fellas. at 5, Carly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> girl. I remember it too. I was standing by the I was standing by the tea, the kettle. She was making some tea and yes, I I said that. And so ever since then, I easily fell in love with this game. I played from 5 years old and in high school, you know, you start getting recruited by colleges at 14 or so, you have 200 coaches on the sidelines watching your games. And so, yes, I ended up, I went to go play at Stanford, um, which was definitely a, looking back, a very rewarding experience. I won two national championships, which was amazing, but it was definitely, it was challenging, right? It was very, as a student athlete, I think only student athletes understand it, but there's something to it that really, it pushes you in many different ways beyond just like, the time management aspect, that's that's the easy part of it. It's more that mental side of the game that comes into it that is really incredible and challenging as a student athlete in college. But right now, like I grew so much from that experience and learned so much. So
0: So what, what yeah. how did you grow and what did you learn?
1: Yeah. So when you're a student athlete, it's very common to equate your worth as a human with your worth as a player and as a player meaning like how many minutes you get so i can only talk specifically about soccer right but the minutes you get on the field is very much okay this is how i'm doing as a player and i used to think early on in my in in my stanford career okay i didn't i only got you know 5 minutes in this game i as carly as a human am failing and only later on did i realize Okay, that's, you know, that's not true. This is a game and I can separate the two, but it's very challenging to separate it when for most of your life, literally from 5 years old to 22 years old, you played this game every single day for hours on end. And so, it becomes your identity. And a key thing I learned was that I can't rely on anyone else to give me confidence and to to almost give me that worth. It only comes from within. And I know this sounds cliche and whatnot, but this is such a big lesson that I learned because for most of my Stanford career, I was just, all my confidence was stemming from one person. Oh, my one person was the coach. What decision was he going to make? Is my name going to be on that paper when he calls out the starting lineup? And that was it. And I learned that midway point where I was like, okay, you know, it's actually, I have to just run through the affirmations in my head and talk myself up and be confident in myself, regardless of what this guy decides. And that was a huge, huge learning for me. And beyond that, just, yeah, that ability to like, things can be hard and things could be so shitty, but you learn a lot in those times and you grow a lot in those times. And also I've seen, you know, even translating to floodgate in the workplace, but I have such a, there's a, Two things. One, a high high bar for excellence, right? I'm just like incredibly driven and I really want to achieve this greatness that I think just comes naturally from being an athlete. And then two is just accepting feedback. I love feedback constantly. And I don't care if it's again, constructive feedback, any type of feedback is good. It's going to teach me. It only teaches me. And I and again, it's how I frame it, right? Like I could view it as, okay, no, this is I don't want to listen to this. Versus, okay, good. Thank you for take. Thank you for you know giving me feedback. That means you value me to to a degree, but but even more so, I can learn from it and I can grow from that. So, I think those are a few things. And the last thing I'll say is gratitude. Um, I experienced my fair share of mental like. On my team, every year, there were a good handful of girls who quit because of mental health challenges. One of my best friends ended up in the hospital um for you know, self harm and things. And then even earlier this you no know, this last year, one of my teammates, Katie Meyer, she ended her life because of depression, because of mental health challenges. So it's crazy to me, and the mental health side of the game is like something I'm so passionate about. But from that, it's taught me so much in just practicing gratitude and saying, you know what, we are so grateful to just be in this world and see, you know, nature and being able to talk to other humans. Like there's so much beauty in it. And yeah, those are a couple of things that I, that I learned.
0: Very deeply sorry about your friend, Carly.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And um, what's it like walking on, uh, walking on the field at a Stanford game? I mean, I've been to Stanford for games. I, I have a reasonably good idea of what the crowd's like. Uh, how many people are in the audience?
1: Yeah, it's a couple thousand, I would say, in the Stanford Stadium. Yeah. But it's a great, it's a great And they're over the top right? and
0: there's dancing and singing and trumpets and trees running around yep. and all that shit, right? <laughs> What's the tree's <laughs> name again? <laughs>
1: Oh, this is a great question. I think it's just all I know. It's the Stanford tree. It doesn't have a name, um, the Stanford tree.
0: It's just the Stanford tree. It, they don't it call may. it Susie or Jimmy, it might. or and
1: that just might be on me. Juanito on or me. something. Oh, okay. We'll have to fact check that later. But <laughs> we'll I don't know if the
0: Stanford tree <laughs> has a name. I thought you would yeah, know if yeah. anybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a safe assumption, but I don't.
0: And how do you balance? You know, what, college athletes are no joke. I mean, it is a highly, highly elite level. Of course, now we're moving into an era where co- college athletes are getting paid, which personally I think is a very good thing. I'd be curious what you think. But how do you how do you manage? I mean, at Stanford, one of the things Stanford's famous for with athletes is you know there are some schools who, if you're an athlete at your level, you sort of get a pass on some of the homework and education. Right. If you skate by with some. D's or C's or whatever, nobody really gives a shit. And you hear scandals about even more things where, you know, athletes come out with degrees and they actually never went to school. Whereas of right. course at Stanford, last time I checked, uh, they don't care how, what kind of a superstar you are in the soccer field. Uh, if you're not pulling it, you're not pulling it. Is that, was that your experience?
1: Yes, that's definitely accurate. I've had, I've had to take midterms, you know, on an airplane or in the, like I've had teammates, you know, do their classes and the line of security at the airport. So <laughs> I would say, yes, there's definitely that aspect of Stanford where at the end of the day you're a student and that comes first. And then you're representing your school as an athlete. Um, and there's that time management aspect, like I said, yes, it's busy. And especially during season, you're traveling, you know, every other weekend, leaving on a Wednesday, coming back on a Sunday at, you know, two AM sometimes and then school the next morning. But I think it's just, again, it's just part of it. Like if you you just need to be able to do that, it's a given. It's just part of your schedule that you have to stay on top of your shit, honestly. And you just have to be planning, planning ahead and talking to your professors and making sure that you know, you're talking to the teaching assistants and everything is aligned for your trip. And it's all just working ahead. And I think like Google Calendar and all of these tools that we have nowadays make it much easier, but it's an aspect to it for sure. But again, it's helpful that, you know, you're surrounded by other girls who are also like stressed out about a midterm coming up and, and everything that happens. So, so yeah,
0: you're all in the same boat.
1: Yeah, Yeah. exactly.
0: Now, Carly, is there anything else you'd like to touch on?
1: I don't know. I don't, I don't think so.
0: And I assume you're not inviting me on your podcast.
1: Well, unfortunately, (laughs) you don't meet one criteria, (laughs) but you know, it's um, funny. I have spoken to
0: many women's organizations over the years that are, you know, don't normally have dudes uh, around Um, because the the (laughs) notion of personal category design, becoming known for a category or niche that you own in your career is powerful for everybody. But every time I've spoken with women's groups, women executive groups about this, it lands even more powerfully. I'm not I have some theories about why that might be, but um all I know is that when high powered women understand the even the basics of category design and apply them to their careers, never mind their businesses, it's a big unlock yeah. for them uh particularly in their careers
1: and what I will say is yes, she leads gives me that avenue. And from like the, you know, work side, investing side, I don't care whether you're T, she, they anything, you know, I'm very gender open to that. Um, at the end of the day, I just want to talk to, in general, the the highest of performers and, you know, the best of the best. And this podcast gives me that incredible aspect to say, yes, I want to talk to the ones who are female and leading the way and paving the way in their industry. And I think it's incredibly valuable and something that's not out there, especially coming from my perspective. So, Yes, I think you're doing legendary that,
0: work. And right. I want you to know, even as a dude, I really appreciate it. And I think it's as a dude, it's a fascinating podcast to listen to. And I just love Thank it you. when creators and entrepreneurs see a missing. And to quote The Big Lebowski, they say, this aggression will not stand, man. And they go fill that missing. <laughs> and, uh, and so I love your podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Well, likewise, I love this podcast. I listen to it all the time. So it's great.
0: And that's very kind of you. Anything else, Carly?
1: I think that's it. Thank you so much, Chris, for having me on the show. I appreciate it.
0: Thank and you, everyone, sister. everyone,
1: check out She Leads.
0: <laughs> and you're welcome back anytime.
1: Perfect. Thank you.
0: Well, there she is. Carly is the host of the She Leads podcast, the podcast network made for and by women. Check it out wherever you get legendary podcasts. And uh, you can also find her on LinkedIn and at Floodgate. And all of that information will be available in our show notes at Lockhead.com. For this episode And if you enjoyed this episode Why not share it with your friends Make no mistake Word of mouth Was, is, and always will be The most legendary form of marketing And if you enjoy this podcast, Why not spread the word Alright, we would like to thank We'd like to thank you Of course, thank you for investing Part of your life with us around here it Makes a big difference to all of us My friends at Clary Are the world leader in revenue Collaboration and governance You see, most CEOs, CROs, and CMOs have a hard time answering the most important question in business, which is, are we going to meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Visit clary.com today and learn how to get your whole company collaborating and governing your revenue process. That's C-L-A-R-I.com today. All right. I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. All uh, oddcasts do contain nuts. And all rights are perturbed. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that involve risks, uncertainties, and insum- insu- assumptions. <laughs> all statements other than statements of historical fact could be deemed forward-looking statements, including any projections, non-obvious thinking, and radically different ideas. Because forward-looking statements are forward-looking, they are subject to inherent risks and uncertainties. Objects and mirrors are objects and mirrors, and all alcoholic beverages contain alcohol. And as uh, Anne Frank said, life is either a daring adventure or it is nothing. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Check out his podcast. It's one of my top five. It's called Grumpy Old Geeks, wherever you get legendary oddcasts. Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution around here, and they build LockEd.com. Show notes by GM Simon. The Bobus Brothers, uh, EX and RJ do our web development. Cedric Burrows does our graphic and web design. And our law firm is Weedon Jack and our accounts are three balance sheets to the wind. Eddie Van Halen was right. Listen to KD Lang. Uh, it's okay. You can go ahead, uh, go to Amazon.com and pick up your copy of the Category Design Toolkit today. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this odd cast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Andrew Tate. Sorry, Tate. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe. Stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different...